0: The party. I pump, the party. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co hosts from the East Coast are up to first. Dave the Alcadron Vader. How's it going? It's going really well. I, uh, hanging in there.
1: Summer school is a whole thing,
0: but I am. Um, <laughs> it's a whole, whole bag of stuff.
1: It is one entire event that's <laughs> yeah. happening at me.
0: Uh, but it's good. It's <laughs> an, happening at you. Yeah. It's, I. <laughs>
1: I feel less in control of this event than I do as spectator sometimes. Um <laughs> such is the nature of fifteen year olds. Uh, uh
0: yes. Yes.
1: But yeah, no, we're we're having fun. We're hanging in there. Uh doing some exciting magic
0: stuff. Yeah, life is good. Awesome. Sounds great. Liam, the PDH PhD, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Uh I I had originally planned uh to play and, and finish uh, Assassin's Creed Origins over the summer. Uh, turns out I only need a week and a half. Uh, oh. Because I've been playing it for eight hours a day. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to discuss the fact that I have 71 hours logged in a week and a half, but that's. <laughs> it's probably okay. I, I am two achievements away from platinuming the game. So I'll probably have about 75 hours logged, and and I'll be done, and I'll be ready to to move on to Valhalla. Uh, for anyone who actually understands Assassin's Creed and understand wants to know why I'm skipping Odyssey, it's not that I'm skipping Odyssey. It's that Odyssey is the best of those three games, so I played it first. For those that don't understand, the order of the games is Origins, Odyssey, Valhalla. But Odyssey is ah, the best, there so you I go. Went, now it's all coming together. So I played that one first. Um, and for people also wondering why I'm playing these games. You know, now and not when they came out, you know, 10 years ago in case of Origins and seven years ago in the case of Odyssey and four for Valhalla. It's because I, I didn't want to. And now I am. Uh, that is a fantastic yeah, reason. Actually, it's it's about two years ago. I actually got into the franchise for the first time. Uh, so I am mm. catching up. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And and Odyssey is, the only reason I know Odyssey is the best is because the themes are Origins is Amonkhet, Odyssey is Theros, and Valhalla is Kaldheim. And Theros is the best of those three. So, you know, Odyssey is. Ah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like a very productive summer.
2: It's been very productive. Sort of
0: envious, yeah.
2: been very productive.
0: Awesome. Great, great. Good news all around, huh? All right. uh, right. Let's move into the housekeeping. What do you no. think before we get to the main? No. Uh-oh. How are you? I am also very well. Uh, outside of the heat kind of kicking my butt. I took an unintentional nap before the show, so that was uh, that Was kind of nice. Sometimes. S- sometimes. it was. We had a nice homemade dinner, a little chicken fried rice dish, and then I opened the freezer, and I thought, huh, there's a Snickers ice cream bar left. I'm going to have that. <laughs> and then, like, ten minutes later, I thought, there's one more of those left. Why shouldn't I have that one as well? <laughs> and then I woke up from my diabetic coma at like five fifteen, going, "What is today? Did we already record? What's my name?"
1: Yeah, some sometimes those naps oh. are perfect, and sometimes those naps like just lay you out and like, oh my god, you wake was up like... feeling like disoriented and like like hung over somehow. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, where am I? <laughs>
0: Oh, it was so bad, So I was like, you know, I just, I just need to sit down, watch a couple minutes of TV, you know, where you, because it was like 4.15 or so, I'm like, cool, you know, I got a little while, I'll just chill out and watch TV, and next thing I know, it was like an hour later, or maybe three days later, I wasn't totally sure, but I was super confused, that was rough, but I guess it was energizing, I guess I needed it, either that or it was just too much sugar.
1: Also energizing.
0: Yeah, ugh. All right, enough about my uh, indulgence. Let's get on to some housekeeping here. If you like the show and you like what we're doing here and you want to support us, check us out over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. Uh, actually, we want to give a new patron shout out to Grant N. Thank you very much, Grant, for your support. We uh, It is amazingly appreciated. And just like Grant, by being a patron. You get access to the pre-show, which is usually a short recording of us sort of catching up for the week. This week it wasn't super short. It was probably going to end up being just over an hour. It's like a bonus episode every week if you will, so that's pretty neat. You also get early access to the episode before it goes live, usually the night before, sometime around then. And I usually, uh, I'll post the show notes along with the episode so you can kind of follow along with what we're talking about. And then finally, you get access to the Pdh Pod Discord server. Heck yeah! You can talk about decks, you get your own private channels, you can just sort of hang out with the crew and talk we're always got some sort of conversation going on there and then lastly you can uh find us on youtube and twitch as the pdh pod as well and on the uh on the ladder on twitch there's where i stream spell table pdh every saturday evening and i think that wraps up housekeeping liam we got new this week in magic
2: yeah uh this week in magic command Uh, Master spoilers have started. We've gotten some very hot downshifts, but more on those in two weeks. Yep, Uh, you're just going to have to wait. Today, WotC finally announced Freeform Commander on Magic Online. I have no idea what that means, but I'm going to take a stab at it and assume that this means players can finally play Commander in a 1v1 setting that allows them to build decks in strange ways
0: yes Free. basically yes okay Free um, and commander, i also believe yeah go ahead
1: it means that you can put anything as your commander
0: okay yes yeah before you could not play a multiplayer game of commander on mtgo without having a legendary creature
2: got it okay so it allows for rule zero shenanigans
0: uh yeah basically or you can basically play test pdh decks on mtgo now
1: Right, that's the oh, like okay. being able to solid. put yeah. anything in the command zone means you can put uncommon creatures in the command zone. So yeah,
0: it's very exciting. I've already had multiple people ask me about it, like, oh, what's a good commander? Blah blah blah. Or what's a good con- uncommon creature? You know, I can finally do this on MTGO. So yeah, solid.
1: Okay. That, that part is, pretty is super cool. cool. Like the the part we're still waiting on is you can you can put an uncommon creature there, and you can make a deck out of exclusively commons. That part is all set. You cannot choose to start the game at only thirty life.
0: Yeah. So like ah, you need
1: okay. to sort of agree ahead of time if you're going to do some sort of like you know pals meta, we'll play this game at forty twenty one, or if you're just going to have a you know a gent- gentle person's agreement that you know when someone reaches ten life in the in the game they concede. Yeah. Because that that's yep. the point Pretty where much. they've taken okay. their thirty damage. So like. Yep.
0: Okay solid so yeah that's uh pretty exciting news for the mdgo players so thought it was interesting
2: yeah what else we got uh this was a very busy week uh sanctuary uh i think had their first fnm and league games this past weekend i know they at least had fnm league might start this week I'm not entirely sure about dates. Time is a construct. I am not either. Fake. I thought I knew um, until
0: this got brought up right here. Yeah, I'm like, time, oh, maybe I don't know.
2: Time is a construct and time is also fake. So <laughs> yeah, uh, if it didn't happen already, it will be happening in this week. So it counts. Uh, and next, uh, I took—I I personally took advantage of Amazon Prime Day and got myself some more Quiver branded stuff. Nice. I know we've been talking about Prime Day through the Discord, and, and people brought up that uh, Baldur's Gate boxes are $80 right now. So if somehow you're listening to this literally right now on Wednesday at 8 p.m. <laughs> because or, time is fake. Because time is fake. Or you somehow have access to Prime Day deals on Friday at noon, you should buy a box of Baldur's Gate for 80 bucks because that's a yeah. damn good deal.
0: That is a real good deal. Yep. Uh yeah I, I I also don't know if the leagues have started yet or are underway. Uh, I know that B Fine guest from last week and Clay from the Tryhards, from the uh, Connoisseurs, they did a big interview together specifically about leagues and why they're important and how to get into them and all that sort of thing. So
2: the leagues uh, I... kicked off July eighth, which if oh, you perfect. believe in the time stream is in the past. <laughs>
0: doesn't matter if you believe in the time stream or not. It'll get wrecked by one Snickers ice cream bar.
2: <laughs> Ain't that the truth?
0: <laughs> or two. I mean, you know, whatever. But no. All good stuff. All good stuff. But yeah, check out the uh, the interview they did together. I believe it's on YouTube, but um, don't quote me on that. I just saw, him, I saw it on, on Twitter, and I retweeted it and all that good stuff. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, though.
2: God, Brad, you're retweeting things you haven't interacted with yourself? I know. How dare I dare you?
0: I'm like the only person on Twitter that does that, I bet. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I'm a terrible Twitterer. Tw- tw- tweeter.
2: Oh, right. Every week right. I find myself retweeting this thing from the PDH pod, but I haven't listened to one of their episodes yet.
0: I know. I haven't pressed play a single time, but I'm always like, oh, heart, retweet, retweet. <laughs> could be anything I'm putting out there. Could be. Oh. All right. What do you think we move on to the main topic here? What do you think, Dave? You like main topics? I'm in. I'm ready. That's why we're here, right? Allegedly.
1: I mean, today it kind of feels more like we're here to just vegetate and do an 80-minute (laughs) pre-show in which somehow we didn't actually, like,
0: talk about anything. (laughs) I know. We didn't. Like, Uh, we each had a couple things to say. We made a
2: singular cut to Brad's Manthara deck in 80 minutes. (laughs) And we...
0: We, we Talked came, about some slivers. We
2: came to some
1: conclusions about a couple... Why, why am I rehashing this? Do the main topic. Tell me about the main yeah, topic, l-
0: Brad. Yeah, let's get to the main topic. This week, we are opening up the PDH Field Guidebook once again to the chapter on the ambiguous concepts of threat assessment. Uh, you hear this term quite often in Magic, more so in the command, uh, commander community as opposed to the 60-card uh, constructed formats when players talk about the results of a particular game. Uh, this show topic specifically has been on our to-do list for a long time, so we thought it was a good week to get in here and discuss what threat assessment is exactly, uh, sort of how each of us goes about understanding it and how to implement it at least a little bit better, and, and I feel like this is a topic similar to last week's conversation with Bobby to where we're going to present some topics and ask some questions but not have definitive answers. Is that, is that pretty close?
1: Yeah, I think that that seems like a good because like everything the the entire point of threat threat assessment is that it's all extremely contextual. So like yes, us us we're not going to deliver you like a a laminated list of who to go for first. Like that doesn't <laughs> yeah exist. like a checklist. Well, yeah. I mean yeah. you should we won't
0: be able to sit there.
1: You should target Alcadron first.
0: He is. <laughs> I I that's. There's that's, nothing wrong about that statement at all.
1: Right, That that's the list. You start with start with Alcadron. If Alcadron <laughs> is in the game, make him not be. That's step one. Step two step is one, like yeah. everything else. Uh, whatever other threat assessment you're doing, like figure that out. That's step two.
0: Yeah, step two is the rest of this episode. Yeah. So yeah, whenever I, uh, I think about threat assess- assessment, I sort of think about it... I think about the threats as like a clock. You know, each player has their own clock that runs that runs at a very, like, specific speed to them, to their deck. You know, starting on turn one, that clock starts ticking in my head. Like, in a lot of ways, that clock sort of represents the tempo of the decks that my opponents are playing, or, like, the countdown to their win con, if you will. I try to keep up. I try to monitor everyone's clock during the game. It gets out of hand sometimes. It's hard to keep up with all of it at once, but the little incremental steps the little incremental lessons you learn in every game hopefully that's what makes you better you know like oh uh, I don't know Lobbert his deck in my mind his deck is a 10 turn deck it has a 10 turn clock from turn one theoretically from what I know of the deck and what I know of of Lobbert's play patterns that deck is going to win on turn 10 but they just did something on turn four that bumped him up two turns maybe they ramped an extra land I wasn't expecting or I don't know they they stole a mana dork and now they have extra mana that I wasn't accounting for that sort of thing like there's a lot of math there's a lot of moving parts to threat assessment at least the way I think about it so um, I know that concept of everyone's on a clock and you're facing against clocks and clocks are everywhere and and times a times a construct Time Um, time is fake yeah. That's just sort of how I think about it. And I know I sort of get, I can get bogged down in my own thoughts when I'm sitting at a table and sort of that leads to like a lot of like decision analysis paralysis, as they say. But we're going to try to break down some of those concepts here. Um, Dave, what's usually kind of the first thing you want to look at when you sit down to a table?
1: I, I'm i actually going to buck this trend a tiny little bit because I want to, Sure. like we we, we just spent a while talking about how we were going to break down this episode in the in the pre-show and i'm realizing now that i need to deviate from that i want to talk more about this clock metaphor a little bit because i want it to i want to bring it back to other things that we've talked about in the past i think that if we can if we can connect these topics to each other that strengthens all of them that's a good point. And yep. the the topics I want to connect this to are when we have done really deep dives into what what is Agro aggro and what does aggro mean, what does mid range and what does mid range mean, what does control combo, what do those mean? I think that we have talked a lot about um, aggro wants to win really fast. And control wants to slow down the other decks long enough to get to the the end game. And we we've we've used the the, the analogy of a race before, where mm-hmm. you know the the aggro is just gonna. All of the cards in the aggro are gasoline. They're just going to sprint as fast as possible towards the finish line, whereas a, a control deck is going to stroll casually there while tripping <laughs> everyone else to make sure that they don't get there first. So you right. can get there at a stroll, and if everyone else is crawling because you've broken their kneecaps, then you'll still <laughs> win that race. And like yeah. that, that idea of a race really comes back to this idea of a clock. Uh, if you don't touch the aggro deck they have a very short clock. They are going to take off sprinting, they're going to hit the finish line real fast. You yep. ha- you have to either... Like, if you're going to do threat assessment on that, like, the, they are a big threat right away immediately, and your, your answers to that are, you can try to be even faster, you can try to outrun the aggro deck with a different, more better aggro deck, or you can trip them and, you know, break their kneecaps or whatever, and then like deal with the threat and then by tripping them you've you've added x number of turns to their clock until they reach that finish line and that lets you try to reach the finish line first or deal with someone else like you know if, if the aggro deck has this you know turn six clock you need to deal with them and their stuff or they'll win on turn six if your clock is looking like a turn eight clock then like murking the aggro deck Means that then you have to deal with the mid-range deck who has a turn seven clock, and then, then you're in the, then you're favored to win that race, and you hope that everyone else is out of removal so that you can slide in there. Like right. that's, that's how the clock threat assessment thing is gonna tie in with the what kind of deck is everyone playing, which yeah, is. That's a very good
0: breakdown. I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: And that is gonna segue into the first big topic we want to talk about with threat assessment you need to be step one before the game even starts. You need to be assessing what the commanders are. Yep. And that's going to tie into like, not just like, you can't just be reading the text on the commander being like, uh, this card is going to draw a card whenever a land comes into play. I wonder what that's going to do. You have to know that, uh what kind of a deck this is going to be bringing so like
0: yeah you can't just sit across from Abdel and be like oh it's a flicker deck
1: <laughs> right like i guess he's going to make a lot of soldiers like yeah. i'm not worried about that hierophant's chalice <laughs> no big deal like uh you need to right you need to recognize some of these things like so you know if you see the abdel you need to know that that is going to be an aggressive combo deck he's going to combo on turn 6 maybe ish and it's going to be game ending and it's going to have some redundancy and some protection when the combo starts. So you will need to be if you're if you're squaring up against Abdel, you need to be prepared to shut down the combo with your own redundancy. You need redundancy on your removal and interaction to stop his combo turn six ish. Yeah, and, and I think
0: that's really I think this um, this step here is really important. Basically, just what you said, like in your example earlier, where if you have a if there's a turn six super aggro deck at the table, like that's obviously a threat, but if you weren't totally sure what Abdel does like that, that that could be a turn six deck also. Like it doesn't have to be, it's not just because there's an aggro deck at the table. That's threat number one. Like there could be multiple decks at the table of completely different colors and styles and archetypes that can win at about the same time in the game.
1: Yeah. And like the, the weird calculus that's going to get involved with this clock nonsense is that, um, you know, if you're squaring up against a deck like Abdel or Tatiova, Weavers, uh, or Weavers, Malcolm, like these are decks that are capable of comboing really fast, mm-hmm. and so uh, they may not combo fast. They might take a couple turns to get there, but they they will. They are moving towards a combo. You have you have a limited amount of time to deal with that. If you're squaring up against the uh, the the hyper-aggressive gut deck, gut might also be sitting at a six-ish turn clock for you, or it might be a six-ish turn clock for the other guy who's more threatening, and an eight-ish turn clock for you. Right. Because they're gonna they're gonna murk Abdel first, and then they're gonna come for you once Abdel is gone. So like you have to you have to consider. The other players threat assessment as you sort of build these
0: clocks which yeah, is you have to sort of <laughs> like compare their clocks to your to each other's clocks not just to your own
1: yeah yep yeah. and this is this is yeah. one of the things that uh ryan of the the common connoisseurs is especially sort of i think enamored with he he puts an enormous amount of effort in his deck building into really engaging with all the table politics and making sure mm-hmm. that you know he wants to make sure that the aggro decks merc the combo decks and then that he is there as the not as threatening as the combo decks so the aggro deck has left him alone but now he's the deck and he can clean up the aggro deck and and win a game like that's i I think that is (laughs) mostly ryan's plan i mean if i'm if i'm totally off base with this please uh let me know but i feel like that's that that is an integral part of his threat assessment calculus when he's building his clocks. Is he's, you know, he he's. I think I think secretly he's delighted when he sits down at a table with Gretchen and Gut, and he goes, I know I know where Gut's going. Yeah, right. <laughs> and <laughs> and I know where Gretchen's going in uh-huh. garbage <laughs> and like so. Right. He's not. Certainly, he'll help take down the Gretchen before Gretchen can combo. But then he also needs to be in a position where he can stop the Gut. After the gut has like established itself with its twenty-four power skeletons or whatever, six power skeletons. Yeah, how oh, gut works. Um, but yeah, so this is one of the things you need to do uh, before the game even starts to develop. You got to be looking at the commanders and thinking, who's, what is this? And it's not just the commanders. Look at look at the commanders and make assumptions about the deck. What is this deck yeah. going to try to do to me? what are the other decks going to do to the table what are the other decks going to do to each other and like uh, where where do i fit into that in terms of all of these clocks yeah where down? do
0: i fit into that that's a very good question yep yeah and i think this is all particularly hard in pdh because the format is so wide open. Like, how many times do you sit down in a paper game or even on Spell Table and someone's like, what's your commander do? Like, I've never <laughs> right. seen that card before. You know, like, yeah. how, how do you make a commander deck? out What the hell am I doing? You know, like, there's just going to be times where you don't... you You can only see the colors on the commander because nothing else on it makes sense and you've never seen a deck for that particular creature. Like, you're just going to have to use your best judgment in that case. But it happens all the time. It's not like some rock solid meta where every yeah. deck's built the same and all the cards are the same and yada yada yada
1: Yeah, some of them will definitely surprise you like I've I sat down against a Flux General deck in the past without any real concept that it was an infect deck and it was and it was some it was like a weird like creatureless infect where it was just going to do that like gift of pyresis thing that gives everyone a poison yeah. counter and then cast yep, 10 yep. instants. Yep. <laughs> so, like how do you even stop it like you can counter the instance it <laughs> does nothing does like, nothing the proliferate still happens it's a cast yeah. trigger <laughs> so like i was trigger. i was great categorically <laughs> unprepared to drop that game but i did drop that <laughs> game i totally biffed it and like other other decks have surprised me, like, uh, or I guess other other decks that m- might. I, I mean, you can, you can also just have rule zero conversations about these things. Like, I used to, I used to get really squirrely about uh, Tormod and Ramirez deck that I built mm-hmm. before yep. before this kind of cra- crash uh, sent this this deck up to infamy by making a really powerful competitive version of it and before that happened i had a very casual zombie tribal build with it that Mm -hmm. was like it was still powerful because you could still do these cool things like cycle gem palm avenger and then put it back in your hand and get a zombie out of it like the synergies were still there and super cool but i mean i I didn't have a whole suite of counter spells to stop combos it was it really it really was like casual but for a while, every time I sat down at a game with it, people were like, oh, Tormund Ramirez, we're playing competitive, let me get my other deck. And I had to be like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, wait. Like, stop, this isn't what you think. Yeah. I just want to... Hold wanna, on, hold on. Yep. I just want to kill people with Shepherd of Rot, <laughs> like, <laughs> including myself. <laughs> like, please don't take this really seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, you know, if you if you're making assumptions about a deck, like you can, you know, if, if you see, if you see, if you see someone sit down with breaches and Malcolm, you're like, that, that's worth a conversation. You can say like, it, are you, are you going to turbo combo with this deck? Or are you going to like play f- cloud pirates and like try to attack and steal my cultivate? Like, what do you, what is your goal right. here? Uh, it, absolutely worth talking about. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, use, use that discussion to assess some threats, figure out, figure out where like, where you sit in the threat assessment and hope that you're not the table arch enemy because uh yeah. you you probably can't fight three people at once unless you can
0: maybe you can i don't unless, know unless you can more power to you if you're abdel then uh go <laughs> get him i guess
1: yeah rock and roll
2: what's oh. what's next next is identifying troublesome cards the way that i want to uh, talk about threat assessment I'm i'm going to kind of introduce identifying troublesome cards, and also put my two cents in on assessing the commanders. Um, sure. The way that I like to identify threat assessment is what I, I would call threat assessment as a whole uh, an intermediate skill that continues to develop all the way through the advanced uh, skill trees. So if if you remember Magic of Old, the packs would have beginner, intermediate, advanced, and expert levels on them.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh-huh.
2: Right, and and while packs no longer have that, I I think that we can kind of use that scale when it comes to talking about things about magic. Understanding what a basic land is and what it does, probably a basic skill. Threat assessment is going to fall kind of, not necessarily between intermediate and advanced, but within both categories. Uh, Mm -hmm. So step one is you need to just be able to identify a list of strong cards by their name and art. If you can do that, that is the intermediate skill, right? The cards, the spells, the permanents that make you go, uh-oh, right? And sometimes when you get yeah, to that uh-oh right. stage, it's too late. But that's the intermediate <laughs> skill. The advanced skill is understanding and being able to explain why they are troublesome cards. And that kind of loops into with Assessing the Commanders, right? You sit down and you look at the Commanders and you're like, hey, that Commander has a reputation. That's the intermediate skill. You play the game enough or are in tune enough that you understand those commanders are problems.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The advanced part is having the conversation, like, are we playing competitive or are you trying to steal my cultivate with breaches? So, you know, the you, you need to understand that distinction of, of threat assessment comes in two forms. Understanding what is the problem, and then understanding why is it the problem.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said.
2: Impact tremors is always a problem. Impact tremors is always a problem. Always. Do when not someone... let anyone ever tell you it's not. Right. <laughs> and someone, no, one, someone... no one is playing that fairly. Yeah, someone...
0: no one just has a jank brew with impact tremors.
1: Someone puts down impact tremors and goes, don't even worry about it. It's not going to matter for a while. A <laughs> person is lying. Lying. That is, that is untrue.
0: And their clock is going I'm, real fast i'm and, looking and at you the, scarecrow
2: in the event <laughs> that it is true that you know for two or three tones it didn't do anything but maybe one or two damage you should have killed it then
0: <laughs> yeah
1: no, i uh, i played a game with paul uh last night on uh chris's stream. oh yeah, one yeah. More game. how'd that stream go uh it went really well uh there were two impact tremors on the board Oh my God! One of them was Paul. I thought you said it went really well. <laughs> it, 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 so ne- I was mono red, but neither impact tremors were mine. It was uh, a <laughs> very fast game. Uh, sure. But yeah, one of one of them was played by Paul, and he did say, "Don't even worry about it. This isn't going to be this isn't going to be impactful for a little while." <laughs> and he was right he he played it the turn before he won by attacking someone with uh, a bunch of trumpet blasts and uh <laughs> turns out he never actually triggered impact tremors he just wanted I, it was it was a power move it was an intimidation tactic nice head <laughs> games but yeah the other impact tremors dealt a lot of might, damage to everyone. might have been baiting yeah.
2: counter spells with it honestly
1: uh he sure. was not i was mono red <laughs> was and his red. his other
2: opponent was mono white there were oh, well, there were mono no White's counter spells got a few to bait counter spells. Mm. And, uh, no <laughs> i mean it's got mana tithe and there's the phyrexian one that puts it second card from the top
0: oh yeah the memory lapse color shifted
2: uh, i mean red has counter magic but none of lapse them of matter certainty. in a mono red game
0: lapse of certainty i've never played that card before never cast it never put it in a deck it's a pretty good card yeah seems like it anyway
1: Hips <laughs> yeah anyhow. hipstevious's impact Tremors dealt like eight damage to the table Maybe, maybe, maybe like 10. I don't know. There were Thatcher revolts involved. Oh, gross. He had a, he had a, what's the card? Impulsive pilfer. Mm, So he had, he had impact tremors. He had agent of the iron throne and impulsive pilfer in his graveyard and he was trying to talk me down from killing him that turn and i was like <laughs> my my brother in christ if you untap everyone <laughs> takes like 20 damage like none of us survive that like this is you need to go this is my only chance and i have a 12 power gremlin
0: so i'm gonna i'm gonna take this opportunity yeah yes i will dispatch you don't even worry about it dispatch it's a good ban yeah so yeah uh
1: recognize that certain cards are threats yeah. Uh, impact uh, Tremors, land on Tappers. Land on Tappers need to die immediately.
0: I think Impact Tremors is a good example of an uh-oh card. Like yeah. If you're looking at a deck that could possibly abuse Impact Tremors and you're not expecting it, they're going to cast it and you will have nothing to do about it. You're just going to die. Like, that's all you can do about it. I mean, Some decks, obviously, like you were saying, you played Mono Red, what are you going to do about it in Impact Tremors? Huh. All you can do is hopefully kill the player. Like,
2: I would play my Tibalt's Trickery. Yeah, see? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's that's sort of what uh-oh means in my head, like, "Oh, I did not expect that card or I reacted too late or I knew it was coming and did nothing about it, like didn't have the chance to do anything about it." Yeah. And then by then it's just too late. So one thing that I always struggle with and I notice a lot of PDH players struggle with this too is forgetting about the actual threat at the table. Like there's plenty of games, maybe not in the CPDH realm, but there's plenty of games where, you know, say player three is, you know, if we're assessing commanders at the beginning of the game, player three has the obvious strongest commander at the table before turn one even starts. And then player two, as the game is going on, player two is just sort of like building their board a little bit, maybe like keep Sage, like, you know, drawing some cards, maybe going into the dungeon a little bit, you know, making a treasure token, goading a creature here and there, like doing stuff, like being not really like impacting the board as much or not really pushing the game itself forward, but they're just doing stuff. You know, they're making free cardboard and they're cracking treasures and they're making cheap creatures and all this kind of stuff and not really affecting the opponents a whole lot. They're just taking a bunch of game actions. I think it's really easy for the other players to like see player two and go, they're doing a bunch of stuff they're the problem like we need to take care of them and a lot of times it takes multiple turns to get that player dead be, you know by the time they're done doing stuff and in that meantime player 3 actually just spent that whole game building his board just waiting to take out the entire table like i see that quite often i don't know if that's just a trend or a trait of the games that i play is that something did that make sense dave is that something you've you've noticed before it
1: is it's definitely a concern for Sir. Sure. As you were saying that, I was thinking very distinctly of Blake, who loves game actions.
0: Yes, uh, me
1: too. Like I've I've mentioned a couple different flavors of deck on, on Historical episodes of the podcast where I'll say like you know that the deck's goal is to build an engine, and once you have the engine, you use the engine to build a bigger engine, and you just keep right. engine engine so that yes. you can do more like that's that's like a solid seventy percent of Blake's decks do that where he'll just go on this like he'll have a twenty minute turn. And, like, none of it is thinking. All of it is, like, doing things. Like, he'll tap things that will untap other things, and then he'll put a card from his graveyard on top of his library and then cast it, and it'll untap things. And one of the things that untaps will let him do And, like, it's not an infinite combo. Sure. It's just
0: a lot. Just game actions. Game Deck.
1: At the end of the turn, he will have... Like, all of this will have happened, and we will have spent, like, four cards to draw five and create three creature tokens. Yes. But it's, like, 20 minutes later, and you're just, like, he's announcing everything, and you're, like, you're, you're, like the lizard brain freaks out. You're like, he must be winning. You're like, get him. Yeah. Must be winning. <laughs> and like, you just, you throw all your stuff at him on the next turn. And then the next player goes, and he's like, oh, I'll attack you with my 2020 double strike infect. And you're like, wait, you had that the whole time? He's like, yeah, I'm just, uh-huh. I was quiet about it. Cause I'm not an idiot. And I was like, oh yeah, good. That's a good strategy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like when oh, you're playing with Blake, good way to win the game. Yeah, That huh?
1: works really well.
0: Uh, So yeah, I, and I bring that up because I am, often the Blake in this scenario I'm often building decks that just do a bunch of stuff like they just bounce OG and they may gain 2 life or scry or draw cards or they may make a 4-4 bear for no reason like they're they're just doing stuff that you know I can't attack with anything yet I'm probably going to die on the crackback if I do but like I'm just like gameactions.deck here and then all of a sudden someone's like oh my god he's doing stuff I'm going to fireball you for 8 and Ruthie you for another 8 copying the fireball like take that i'm like what did i do I <laughs> <what>? <laughs> you, you said too many words <laughs> you, you moved too many cards around but no the uh, that that was recency bias the uh the fireball copied fireball was in it was a revenge tactic for blowing up the coal hauler swine so that was understandable but yeah, that well, happens I, quite a bit. Where hmm? well, I hope you've learned your lesson about coal haulers. I I have. I'm I'm leaving it alone.
1: This is this is an interesting segue into uh, pals meta threat assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, pals are generally very equal opportunity uh, beat face beaters. They will just yeet their stuff at everyone and everyone without actually thinking about any of it, unless mm-hmm. you kill a coal hauler swine. Then everything yeah, comes at you. Then you are dead. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's fair too, but it didn't help that, like, when the coal hauler was put on the table, uh, I, th- I think it was Mizu Sun that was playing. When when he cast when he cast coal hauler swine, he's like, "Well, there's half the combo," and I was like, "Nope, that's got to go." <laughs> <laughs> but I paid the price for it. So anyway, yeah, that 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 does end up happening a lot, and I see other players do it, and you know, I try not to like step in or like run the table politicize the table or what have you but it happens all over the place where you're I don't even know what the word is for it's not like you're intimidated by this player who's doing a bunch of stuff I, I just think because there's so many potentials for combos or for shenanigans or for even just unknown things that happen in this format when a player does more than I don't know, three or four things in a turn, you're like, you got to die. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but you got to be out of this game because you're scaring me. And I, I feel like that happens quite often, even if they're really not doing anything at all. Yes. And I understand. I, I've I've been that player, too. Like, you're like, Lobbert's making too many bears with his bears companion. Like, he's got to die. Like, even though he was really in no position to win the game, you know, <laughs> in the next four turns anyway.
1: One one of the things that sometimes helps with this is if if the weird nonsense you're doing is an end of turn thing, you can you can sometimes get away with like doing that at someone's end step and then during your turn be like, "Well, I got nothing." And then, like make a big show out of like how you're not doing things with your yeah. main step and your combat step, and then you're like, "Okay, I passed my turn, and everyone' like, okay, he's doing silly nonsense, but like he's skipping his main phase. so it doesn't like they'll they'll that that kind of like you know what's the some of these stealth video games have that where there's like an an alert meter mm-hmm. like how 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 close you are to being caught." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing all this on your main step, that spikes the alert meter. But if you do it on an end step, that'll still spike the alert meter kind of, but then when you when you basically skip your main phase doing nothing, the the alert meter will drop back down. Yeah. A little bit.
0: <clears throat> That's a good analogy. What do you think, Liam? Um
2: I don't I don't know that I agree with the the whole general premise about uh being bogged down with one player who's doing stuff and and someone else is kind of flying under the radar because I, I, I wholly understand the concept of wanting to fly under the radar as, as the second or third strongest deck at the table until the strongest is wiped out, right? That is, that is my play style. That is how I win the most games. That, 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 is how I, that is how I win the most games that I win. But in fairness, someone is the number one problem for a reason. They are the one doing the most stuff. There are definitely people that their aim is to fly under the radar and and you know look non-conspicuous. But it, in the long run, like there is someone that is doing more things. They are the problem until they're not. And when <laughs> they're not the problem, it just so happens that there is a new problem. It's kind of the nature of these things. It, it's the nature of how that works. Speaking from the position of the person who likes to do that, that is how that works. I am not the problem until all of a sudden I am. So I don't yeah. think it's necessarily wrong to be focusing on number one because they are the problem. They are actively the problem until they're all of a sudden not. And, and you know, some of that means you have to be a little bit disciplined with where you point your removal. You have to understand that while someone is the problem, maybe you should point the removal spell at the impact tremors on player number two's board, right? But right. at the same time, like you also need to understand that just because you blow up player number two's impact tremors, doesn't mean they don't have that alliance guy in hand either. And then, you know, player number one is still a problem until player number two drops the alliance impact tremors, and now you've got a whole new thing. So it's just it's it's complicated, but I I wouldn't consider the person flying under the radar or person number two the real threat. I would say the real threat is absolutely the person who's been doing the most stuff, doing the most impact. And then when they're not, that title gets passed on. Kind of like, you know, you hit someone and you become the monarch or you gain the initiative, right? Be- because you don't mm-hmm. combat damage to them. It, it's a sudden change. It's a, it, it's, it's, it's a movement of the dealer button. And, you know, this person number one being the biggest threat of the table... And then their board gets wiped away with a, a dragon's breath or a fiery cannonade. Well, number two happened to be playing Malcolm Breaches. They've got a bunch of pirates. They didn't get their board blown up. Now they the problem. All right. that happened was that button, that title just moved. And so it, it's it's something you've got to have discipline to understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And you, it's sort of coattailing on that too, is you have to sort of like understand the repercussions of what you're about to do, if that makes sense. Or, yeah. you know, if. I, I've seen it before and I've lost to it before where there is a giant, you know, huge giant trampling commander underneath uh, a journey to nowhere or something or an oubliette or what have you. And another player wanted me to die, but couldn't do it. So they destroyed the enchantment. So that player could kill me. Not really thinking of, Oh, next turn that's coming at me and I can't do anything about it. Like I'm just dead too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Sure, you can eliminate some problems, but you got to understand what problems are literally just waiting in line to step up and be the be the next one. Yeah.
1: Paul had some really fantastic pushback about that exact topic from our uh, Riw weekend where mm-hmm. uh, there was one game in particular where Paul the the threat assessment in this game was was really remarkable. Something it's it's worth it's worth mentioning explicitly here. Paul had. Uh, Paul cast Viscopa Guildmage, and had like a food or something else. Maybe it was two food on on the table in play. So like you could just look at his board and see if he gets an untap, he can like I I don't remember the specifics. He could like maybe double activate Tetiova and then sacrifice two food, and it was going to be like uninteractable twelve damage to the table for a game win. Yes, and that's that was just in play on his field and he passed the turn like that and uh slivers player couldn't really do anything and it came to the sprite dragon player's turn who uh saw an opportunity here because airness was tapped out and at only like four or five life or something maybe maybe only three life uh, Mm -hmm. so sprite dragon saw an opportunity here to spend their removal to bounce airness's only reach creature and then attack them to death with Sprite Dragon. And then hope to draw into a second removal spell off of a Treasure Cruise. And then okay. try to use that second removal spell to kill mm-hmm. <laughs> I, To me, from the commentator's booth, that looked really greedy. I feel like that was, from where I was sitting, that looked like a bad play. I Mm -hmm. think if I was in the Sprite Dragon player's seat, I think I let Aranus have an untap because Aranus Aranus is a removal powerhouse. Aranus can absolutely kill Viscopa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which solves solves the immediate problem. And, like, it certainly creates other problems. Aranus is also going to then kill Sprite Dragon. Like, Aranus is never going to tap out again, which means Sprite Dragon is never connecting with that player ever again. So, like, there are certainly other problems here. But, I mean, in my mind, that puts Sprite Dragon, that puts Aranus in the driver's seat of the game. And Aranus can now, like, attack the other players one by one to death. But Sprite Dragon, I think, is the least threatening of those. Mm -hmm. So, I think if you're Sprite Dragon, I feel like my personal threat assessment would have been leave Aranus alive so that it kills Viscopa. Because what actually happened was killed Aranus, dug for the removal, didn't find it, passed the turn to Viscopa. Viscopa won with the cards that were just on the table presenting the threat the whole time. (laughs) Um, I think giving Aranus that extra turn so that it could handle the Viscopa threat and then attack Viscopa to death over a couple turns while Sprite Dragon used the Treasure Cruise and their couple draw steps to dig for, like, a Lightning Bolt. Right. Because Lightning Bolt kills the Aranus player at that point. Like to me, that feels like it has better odds of winning. But I don't. I, I mean, may, maybe I'm miscounting how many lightning bolts they had. They might have already used their their bolts in the deck. But uh, sure, who knows? Um, but yeah, that, this to life me, of a commentator. To me, this is this is ringing the bells you say about you know you have to you have to appreciate how your game actions are going to impact the rest of the table. Like Aranus right, absolutely it, yeah. was a huge threat to Sprite Dragon. And that was a great opportunity to take out Aranus at the cost of removing the reliable source of control that was gonna handle the guild mage. And like it was right. a it was a gamble. Like maybe maybe Sprite Dragon can draw into that. Maybe. Maybe. Uh it didn't work out that time. But
0: Yeah. And that's a, where a lot of these oh go ahead not a bad play
1: just the play that i would not have done
0: yeah not necessarily a misplay or anything like that just interesting and i think in the the cpdh realm all these things we've talked about and are going to talk about today are much tighter there's a much more fine point on all of these things because literally you know these decks are so high tuned, fine tuned that the next card drawn by anyone could end the game Whereas in more casual streams, you know, there's a little more forgiveness. So if you make a misplay or you, you know, mess up your threat assessment and go after, you know, you target the lightning bolt at a creature instead of a player with three life, you know, just silly things like that. Like that can be forgiven and you could probably scrape your way back. But in the more competitive realm, like you got to be on your game like these things happen for a reason and the, the decks are built for a very specific reason. Like if you stumble at all, they're going to get you. And that's one thing that I just haven't, that's that's one reason I don't play more competitively is because I'm not great at threat assessment. Like my threat assessment bounces around a lot. I don't know if that's normal for players to do, but like, I'll take my turn, you know, like, I'll take my turn, do whatever, and then I'll watch the other three players take their turn, and I'm sort of, like, doing my clocks and seeing what's going on and kind of gauging the threats and stuff, and then I'll be like, okay, well, I'll attack player two because he's the biggest threat, and then it'll change, and then I'll attack player player three, and then I'll attack player one, and then two. Like, I spread it around so much that I rarely take out anyone ever. (laughs) Like, I don't know if that's common, but um, I have a real hard time focusing on the same the perceived threat at all times. I think I put too much stock in different card types or cards that like, Oh, now they're the threat. Oh no, wait. Now they're the threat. Now they're the threat. Now they're the threat. Like it bounces around too much. And sometimes I don't, Um, I, I that, that's why I took this, this last one, you know, don't forget about the real threat and don't get, you know, distracted by other threats, perceived threats. Cause I do that all the time. That That's my, the main reason I lose is because, I just, I don't focus my efforts on what should be the actual threat of the table. That's fair.
2: Uh, Liam, what you got next? What's up next is, you know, understanding what each opposing commando does, right? This this kind of goes back up to assessing the commandos and identifying troublesome cards. Uh, but this is kind of... Leaning into the expert area of understanding the format. Of you don't want to just know, you know, you, you don't want to just know that card is a problem. That's intermediate, or why it's a problem because Malcolm enables a combo, or you know, Gretchen draws the deck. But you also need to understand, you know, the archetype and the strategy and the potential win cons in the deck all together, and that's kind of like an expert level understanding of the format.
1: Mm-hmm. It's also really important there to to talk about how you can disrupt those things. Like, that
2: too. Yeah, mm, yeah.
1: We we all know that Tetsuva is going to combo, but like, how can we stop Right. We we need to we need to understand that that combo runs cards through the graveyard. So Fairy macabre is a great way to throw a wrench in that plan. the The main Tetiova line also runs cards through the top of the deck. So like mm-hmm. you can stop that with ghoul caller's bell. Like maybe you shouldn't. Like I'm not saying That's play hilarious. ghoul caller's bell. I'm just <laughs> saying that like if you do have a ghoul caller's bell or like if you're on rune crab and you have a panorama, <laughs> like you don't have to crack the panorama right away. You can sit on it until Tegiova tries to combo
0: and then Yeah, and then you're like, "Oh wait, hold on, I got something to do real quick."
1: Yeah. Like oh the, the title was on top of your deck with mystic sanctuary? And Tetiova's trigger is about to put it into your hand?
0: What if I respond now? It'd be a shame if something <laughs> milled them. It would sure would be a shame. <laughs> yeah,
1: so uh, I just interrupted Liam. Yeah, definitely understand the combos as deeply as possible so you can interrupt them as effectively yeah, yeah. as possible.
2: Also, you, you did not interrupt me. I, I was done. Oh, well then, yeah.
1: that was my follow-up.
0: You know, and some of that too, like you two were just talking about, and this is probably an entire episode worth of of discussion here, but understanding what your deck's capabilities are, you know, like if, if you're against that Tatiova player and you're like, oh crap, I mean, I don't know why you'd be in this scenario, but you're like, oh crap, someone blew up my honored heirloom or I don't have any graveyard hate left and I don't have a way to mill. Like I need to figure out a way to use my opponents to get rid of that Tatiova because otherwise I can kill them if that makes sense. Yeah. And I don't think that's as much threat assessment as it is just game gameplay (laughs) strategy, but... Table talk. Table talk,
1: yeah. Mm -hmm. At some point, the two become pretty well intertwined. Yeah. So uh, another thing to keep in mind about really assessing each opposing commander is uh, just coming back to this idea of a clock. You should try to keep in mind uh, about how long you have to deal with each with each thing like yeah um, certain combos you need to be ready to handle by turn you know six ish some some mm-hmm. some early combos can happen on turn five I, at at, at riw we saw dallas combo on turn four with the Disciple. beginning of
0: turn four yep yeah, that was, uh, that, yeah was... that was that is bonkers that's an outlier for sure
1: right so like some sometimes you get these outliers i think i i comboed once on turn five with parcel beast but uh that was definitely an outlier um but yeah you should you should anticipate that combo decks should be like online around six ish if uninterrupted, so you need to be able to you know chuck removal or interruption or interference at the combo deck by then to increase yeah. that time on their clock, and uh you know e Sphinx. Might have a different clock, uh like it's I think that I think the clock on e Sphinx is much slower, but it's much more difficult to interact with, like yes, you, you, when you cast murder on the East Sphinx, you're not really slowing them down
0: at all. no, you could actually be helping them,
1: yeah, it's probably helpful don't don't spend removal on e Sphinx, that just means that they have more giant monsters, so yeah, the E-Sphinx timer might be turn eight ish. Nine-ish, ten-ish before their board becomes so overwhelming you can't deal with it. But like right. murder is not going to st- solve that problem in the way that it solves the Gretchen problem. So like, uh, just be aware of how many turns you have to deal with each kind of a threat and what resources you have available in order to do that. And like I said much earlier about you know the agro plan is like you don't you don't have to kneecap all of these things to stop them. Your your plan shouldn't be how can i slow this thing down so thoroughly that it never crosses the finish line you you don't have to make sure that they never cross you just have to make sure that they're crossing after you do yeah they can still finish just later yeah (laughs) like if you (laughs) if you blast the Gretchen player down to a turn nine clock and then you kill them on turn eight like you don't have to worry about turn nine combo anymore because they're (laughs) dead
0: (laughs) because they're dead there's <laughs> like, no potential right Right.
1: like the kneecaps are no longer your concern like you can just exactly. headshot so yeah you don't i mean unless you're like I, i've heard of win conless control decks that sounds like the worst possible situation to be in <laughs> uh that should not be your goal right don't stop someone forever just slow them down long enough that you cross the finish line first
0: yeah. And you know, you mentioned resources. I think that's a huge thing to think about too because you know, a nightmare pod of players could be forgetting what the fourth deck is. Like you could be facing Battlecry Goblin and Abdel at the same table. Like those mm. are both like the, those decks both can kill the entire table by turn 6.
1: Not for long, you <laughs> you're not facing both right. of those decks for long <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what i'm saying so you have to sort of like prioritize these threats cuz they're both huge threats like understand what resources you have and if you know if you can deal with them which you know which one of those two can your deck deal with easier or quicker or faster or what have you so i mean at that point it just sort of comes down to your skill at piloting the deck and threat assessment almost goes out the window because you just sort of have to almost scramble when you get to that point because you're like, crap, both of these decks can kill everyone at the same time, you know, by turn six or what have you. So uh, I think that's where, like you said, where slowing them down is paramount to anything else. You know, if you've got two decks like that at a table at the same time, you're not going to kill one of them. You're definitely not going to kill both of them, but you can make both of them you can slow both of them down by two turns, by three turns, maybe by four turns, depending on what your deck has at its disposal. And I think that's stuff that you need to lean into. You know, play to your outs, that sort of thing. It's good advice. Yep, I think I've heard that. I might have just made that up. <laughs> play, play to your outs. Yeah, I think I'll trademark that. Yeah, you heard it here first. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, we got a couple more. As is, is that an really me. Yeah, that's me, right? yeah yeah another one that is huge that you don't see a lot of in casual games uh but you see <laughs> they're in every competitive deck are the transmute tutors that we have uh, at our disposal understanding these is going to be really important it's going to be key to your success or your lack of you really need to understand what they are and And what they're going to get like for the most part, you know, in my experience, for the most part, you know, like Demir Guildhouse is going to go get pestilence. You know, what can I do about that? Drift of Phantasms might go get Crypt Rats or I I don't know. Dizzy Spell is going to go get High Tide, Mm, that sort of thing. Like drift
1: drift is probably getting freed from the real.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Freed from the real. Right. What can I do about these? Because that's not, you know, transmute is not counterable necessarily to an extent.
1: You can what discrab am I gonna, it.
0: Yeah, you can discrab it, and that's all we got. <laughs> what am I going to do about that freed from the real? What am I going to do about that pestilence? Like, So understanding that a couple of these transmute tutors we have, they're going to go get sweepers because the board is overwhelming or they have the potential to kill you through you know pestilence damage, crypt, rat, crypt, crypt rats damage, that sort of thing. Freed from the real, high tide, they're gonna go they're going to get that because they have the combo pieces ready, locked and ready, getting ready to kill everyone. So this one isn't a super huge one, but I think it's something that comes in very handy because it helps you again with your resources. It helps you understand if your deck can handle it. Like, okay, there's Demir Guildhouse, they're gonna go get the pestilence, like what am I gonna do about it now? How can I kill them before they get it online with a bunch of black mana? How can I kill them? Or, you know, what do I have in the way of interaction that will keep that freed from the real from resolving? That sort of thing. And I think that's just a matter of being used to the tutors. It's not like they're all that complicated. They pretty much all do the same thing, just for different mana values. And the few that I mentioned are the most common ones you'll see. Muddle the mixtures out there every now and then for certain combo pieces, but just understand them. If you understand what the commander is, and you've lived long enough in the game that they're starting to transmute for for cards that they absolutely need, you probably have a very good understanding of what the deck is already trying to do. So just be prepared for it, understand the limitations of your deck, and just sort of go from there. Do you have anything to add on this, Dave? I feel like that was it, it felt like a lot more in my head than it actually came out to be.
1: I, I think you have to be very, very suspicious when people transmute for the unexpected card. So like if someone, if someone drops the, uh, you know, if, if if there's a commander that you know is big into the flicker loops and they drop their transmute card, they, they drop their drift of phantasms to go get something and they don't get ghostly flicker. If they get like, I don't know, cancel or unwind, (laughs) they get unwind instead of ghostly flicker. Like you gotta be sweating. That's. That that is that is a declaration of war. I, don't is, know. I feel yeah. like
2: I feel like they just want to unwind that way they can counter whatever the problem at the table is doing.
1: No, that means they are the problem at the table. <laughs> that means that ghostly yeah. flicker is already in their hand, and they want another counterspell that happens to cost zero mana to, to fight this right. counterspell battle that they know is coming. Like that's the point. Like you gotta you gotta speak up about that. You got like when you see someone. <laughs> drop the drift for an unwind you got to be like hey table like now is a great time to pool our resources because that guy is gonna steamroll us uh so yeah come together know what know what they're probably going to get and then like be suspicious when they get a different thing
0: that's a really good point too if they get something that you, you know like you said oh they're gonna go get the ghostly flicker wait they they got what Oh crap. Right. Like that just escalated the problem to begin with. Like it was already a problem that just took ah. it to the next level and you were not ready for it.
1: When when dizzy spell becomes a dispel, like
0: <laughs> it's bad. It's bad news. <laughs> it is it is bad. It could be real bad because you know they're uh locked and loaded. Yeah. I this isn't directly
1: related, but I am thinking about it a little bit. Uh I guess the the relation that I was thinking of is um mystical teachings Mm -hmm. yeah that's the 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 tutor with flashback in demir color yep Yep. Mm -hmm. okay i was thinking about that and the thing i wanted to add about threat assessment is do not lose sight of
0: people's graveyards oh my god that is such a good one (laughs) that is such good advice
1: (laughs) i have won a couple games off of fruit of Tizerus, and the fruit of Tizerus was (laughs) not a surprise it was, like, I cast it early, and I just left it in my graveyard. It was just sitting there the whole time. It was, the, it was there the whole time. And then someone was like, what if I go to two life? I'm safe here, right? And I'm like, oh, sweet child. You are not. <laughs> no one is safe at two life here. <laughs> I have yeah, this I, fruit of Tizers. I can cast this as many times as I want.
0: So, like, don't <laughs> don't forget about that. Uh, I, and then, yeah, and, you know, you ask to see their graveyard. Yeah. Like, you know, it's no big deal. And, like... Uh,
1: you can also like if you want to you know not do the cognitive overload thing you don't have to see the whole graveyard you can say what in your graveyard do i need to be worried about and like any sure any reasonable person isn't gonna like hide things from you like you can trust this community to be like oh here's my fruit of tizers it's a problem like right do do you have the relic like you should do something about this like
0: yeah and I can't tell you how many games, how many pods I've won with Prismatic Strands and/or Moments Piece in my graveyard, just waiting for you yep. to tap out and come at me.
1: Yeah, Prismatic Strands. Sometimes is another like
0: one. I'll cast. There, there's been a couple games where I've had to cast Prismatic Strands like as early as possible and just put in the graveyard. And like we go to like turn twelve or whatever. You know, ten. You know, eight, nine, ten turns after I cast it the first time, and I'll like move it to the top of the graveyard just so like. There's no shenanigans. Like, I'll put it right in view. The camera sees it and everything. And I'm just, like, sitting here. And they're like, okay, I'm coming at you. I'm like, okay, here. Here's Prismatic Strands. I guess I win on the crackback. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, you really have to be cognizant of that. Especially with a lot of the combo decks. Yeah, that was was really good. Yeah, Really good addition to the list. I I wanted to put it here
1: because it's it's the sword that I routinely fall on myself. So, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want it, I want it to be in here because I, I've killed myself so many times about. by forgetting about other people's graveyards. Like, like I've done that prismatic strands thing. Like I've been on the other end of it a bunch. Like mm-hmm. ah, I got you now. I tag with everything. You're tapped out. Like there's no escaping this. And you're like, there is. Like you knew there, it. Was, there sure is. It's, it's been here the whole time. Like it doesn't even cost <laughs> mana. Like you were looking uh-huh. right at it. And I was like, oh, it's I, free. I really did know about that this whole time. <laughs> like what if? Yeah. What have I done? What kind of I done to myself? What kind of amateur hour nonsense is? Yeah. So this is, I I say that this is advice for you all. It's mostly advice for me. This is the thing that I need to get get better at.
0: Yeah. Most of this episode is self-serving. Like I need to get better at all this, but that (laughs) one for sure. Like the graveyard just gets me every time. Yeah. (laughs) Just, and then sometimes I'm like, I'll have my honored heirloom out and I'm like, or, no, not heirloom, but like relic, where it's kind of a one-time use. You know, if you want to get everything, and then like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to use it now because what if I need it in four turns? And then I end up never using it, and I end up losing to a graveyard. I'm like, come on.
2: Yeah, I, I think I have, don't know. I have the opposite problem because i f- I will easily forget about my graveyard spells, so mm. i always <laughs> so I always like uh, uh, tap them in the graveyard. That way, they're like sticking out, so I remember they're there which means my opponents know they're there, right? They're, they're fairly easy mm-hmm. to spot. Uh, what I forget to do is I forget that I have, you know, three untapped mana and an honored heirloom, and my opponent goes to touch something in the graveyard, and I could have exiled it. And I'll remember when though you know, at the end of their combo, and I'm like, well... You know? Yeah. Could have stopped. Sometimes this. they'll even
0: pause and like wait for you to do something. Uh-huh. And then if you don't reply, they're like, Okay, uh-huh. I guess I'm just going ahead with it. Yeah, they
2: they I, I've definitely had that like where the opponent like looks at me and like any responses. And I, I just sit there like my hands down on the table while I'm just like, Nope. And they're just like they make eye contact, like, Are you sure? And I'm like, Nope. <laughs> and then five minutes later I'm like, I see it now. <laughs> <laughs> I yep. see why you asked me twice. <laughs> yep.
1: R- Real talk, I've been taking Honored Heirloom out of my casual decks, partly because a-, a lot of a lot of casual decks want to play with a graveyard, and I want to let them.
0: Like, that is totally fair. If someone
1: you know, someone's gonna tetchy over me in a casual pod, like I'll that whatever, <laughs> like that's
0: on you. You got to right. look in the mirror, bud. Uh, yeah,
1: I'm not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna run counterplay to like. Tetiova combos in my casual decks. And like, yeah. you know, but if someone wants to just like, I have an on earth deck, I don't want to like shut down their whole deck with a, no, what's the fun incidental of card. And like the other part of it is like, I don't want to be responsible for making that decision that Liam just described. Like, I don't want to, be thinking about holding my mana up for this heirloom i don't want to like think about when i need to deploy this and when i need to sure not for other things or when i can tap out i just want to like if i'm in a casual game i just want to tap myself out completely every turn all the time all I the do time that all the time and yep. then and then i'll just like I, I i i don't play arena but i understand that like you can get f6 which means you're just past priority on everything and like letting the game happen to you like yep. i'm Made my own little thing. I have a sticky note in a big, like, clear plastic sleeve that I put down on my table for spell table games. It just says pass priority. <laughs> and I can put that right in front of the camera and then just, like, not think. And, like, that's that feels really good.
0: Yeah, it does feel good sometimes.
1: Like, you don't have to worry about Honored Heirlooming anything if you're tapped out and also Honored Heirloom isn't in your deck.
0: Yeah. Not, not that you haven't drawn it. It's not even there.
1: Not, It's not in your deck. Like, this is... Yeah this is this is my hot take of the week. Like I think Honored Heirloom is overrated. Ooh. Which is a I mean in casual play.
2: Now now hold up one damn minute. You're the one that got me on Honored Heirloom. Yeah, you I am. Be, I like... You were the one yeah, that made true. me bought made you me buy an entire... 20 copies of the card. You cannot There's... tell me now. Here's, Here's what's really awkward. entire generation of PDH
1: mic.
0: players. Here's
1: There's what's really a... awkward. I have a hundred and sixty of them. I when it came out Blake and I got so excited about it we're like this has to go in everything and like we just didn't communicate with each other so I bought like 80 and he bought 80 and, like, he came over, he's like, look, my Honored Heirlooms arrived. And I was like, Blake, no! Wait, and so no, did mine. <laughs> the two of us together have, like, a hundred and sixty hundred Heirlooms. And, like, probably, like, 30 of them are in our decks, maybe 40. But, like, between the two of us, we have, like, 120 decks. And, like, not a lot less than all of them are running the Heirloom. And, like, now I feel bad. I, this is just straight-up market manipulation on my part at this point. Like, Isn't this it? is insider oh, really? trading.
0: Jeez. Yeah, the Rudy of PDH, but yeah, I I am completely with you. That was a very good take on Outer because I get that way too. That's a lot of reason I don't play uh, Orzhov decks in casual pods because every single time I do, inevitably it comes around to me and someone's like, "Where's your Pestilence? Where's your Crypt Rats? Are you gonna transmute for <laughs> it? We you, we need your help." I'm like, I don't I don't want to do it. <laughs> like, it may not. I don't even think it's in the deck, and if it did, I don't want to do it right now. Like, yeah, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to like miserable everybody to death
1: it's yeah you don't want to be the fun police
0: <laughs> right exactly I, I, a lot of times Orzov in pdh is just fun police right so like i i'm much higher
1: on pestilence and crypt rats than i am on honored heirloom because like you know P- pestilence and crypt rats are both really good reset buttons for when the game gets really out of hand like there's oh not... sure sure
0: sure they're, i definitely they're... still run them i just yeah. don't like do it in response to things right Right, right. especially peer like, pressure
1: <laughs> i feel like that there are certain decks where like having an honored heirloom in play just turns off the entire deck and it will never again accomplish anything sure. like like araumi just is incapable of fighting through an honored heirloom and it just feels bad mm-hmm. but like with the pestilence like pestilence pestilence and crypt Rats are both like one-time resets that kill themselves. Yeah. And like a lot of games need that, and then like whatever deck, even though like there's one deck that's like going to be more impacted than the other, but that deck can recover. It can like it 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 was doing things before the pestilence dropped, and it can do things again after. It's not right. It's not the absolute game-ending blowout that Honored heirloom is. So like that's fine.
0: Yeah. No, makes total sense. Yeah. <sighs> we are way Speaking off topic. Of all the yeah we were but that's okay we were kind of speaking about all the stuff going on on the actual game platform board
2: state what do you got liam i i've got nothing to add to that other than i feel betrayed by dave Uh, (laughs) how many i can i can give you mine how many do you need i I mean continue playing them i i do not need any i have a, a box of 20 of them um no, uh, I still
0: like him as just a mana rock. Oh yeah, well. I, yeah, it's I, a
2: fine I, mana rock. I'm super high on three mana rocks. I I'm probably still going to play it in, in even in casual because I'm I'm not the kind of person. So so first of all, I tap out too damn often. Uh, so yes. my my honored heirloom is never up to begin with. Um, but God, second I tap out so much. Second of all, <laughs> um, I'm not the kind of person to honored heirloom just because it's the correct play. I'm gonna do something that I, I'm, I'm only gonna heirloom something in the graveyard if it is actively going to affect me. So, if if they want to hit their, you know if the Araumi player wants to hit the Encore target and like yeah I'm gonna get a token swung at me oh well you know I'm gonna let them have it. If they want to on if they want to uh, you know Araumi uh, uh, Gary, no that's not gonna happen
0: um that's a little more trouble so so yeah.
2: I, I think the target that they're going for is entirely dependent on whether or not i'm going to heirloom and you know i i understand that you know gary is how they can close out a game but they could also just are umi the five six that's in their graveyard like i'm okay with that so
1: real real talk number two hot take number two Ooh. like yeah that's a, a, excellent episode I don't even have Gary in my outer deck anymore. I cut Gary for the bats. I'm running because it's oppressive or what? I I I replaced it with Phantasmal Dreadmaw for once again exactly the reason that Liam just described. <laughs> if i if i the moment you start auto being phantasmal dreadmill like everyone's like yes this is the kind of game i want to be a part of
0: <laughs> like when, when, you, when
1: you when you're auto uh gary it's just sad and unpleasant
0: yeah. yeah it's just yeah when the game's rolling along and everybody's smiling and laughing and then everyone is dead that's such an awkward feeling yeah <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Any responses? No. Okay, cool. Game two? Like, what? What, what? what just happened? Yeah. You're just all dead. So I think those are excellent hot takes and excellent uh, additions to the episode. Anyway, I don't think, um, did we have anything else to go over here? With threat assessments? I, I, think, I think ending the threat assessment
1: discussion on why you should auto-Umi Phantasmal Dreadmaw instead of Gary is like the perfect conclusion. <laughs>
2: I think it is yeah. bookends it I, I don't nicely. Think, I don't think we even need to listen to a question. I think we just end it there. <laughs> Not even an <laughs> outro. Just stop recording.
0: <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, we uh, we accomplished what we said we were going to accomplish. We had, we addressed the topic of threat assessment. We didn't really answer any questions because this one is particularly hard. It's particularly sort of just out there in the abstract. Every single game's different. Every deck's different. Every player's different. So just just use your best judgment. And it's not gonna work all the time like you can perfect these skills like you can be expert level threat assessor and still just not win a lot, not win games you know mis- misread a hand or misread a player or misread a deck like it's just gonna happen. but understanding threats I, I've noticed that getting better at threat assessment how do I say this it like makes my enjoyment of the game. More or it's more fulfilling to me if I understand what's happening in the game, even if I lose. If I feel like I understood what happened in the game and what my role was in that game, even when it's over and I lose, I still feel better about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If if that makes sense.
1: Like there's there's an enormous sense of satisfaction, like when you sit down at the table and you're you're doing these like mental clocks, like Brad described, like. If you're perfectly accurate and correct about the clocks, and then you're unable to stop them, and they win, and like, you know, if you if you're looking at that turn seven win, and you don't come up with enough removal to stop it, and you die
0: to the turn seven win, like that feels pretty good, (laughs) like yeah, Mm -hmm. that's very satisfying. Yep, yeah, because you nailed it. Like you, yeah, yeah, it's just a sense of accomplishment. But I think that was uh that's my last word on the topic. Did we have any listener listener questions this week uh liam? uh no. Okay. no
2: I think we got it okay,
0: I think we're gonna line some up for uh some future episodes we got we got a whole sheet that we're gonna go through and get them all straightened out we we may have to twist one around just a little bit, but we'll see when we get there all right did you guys have anything else you wanted to add real quick before we get out of here? No any I'm more good. hot takes, Dave I'm out of hot takes. You were a hot takedown, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, two is two is pretty high for me in a in a standard week.
0: That is a lot. Really, yeah. it's pretty rare you even throw in one. Yeah, we're in for a treat. And sometimes, you know, it'll be a hot take in the pre-show and then a hot take on the episode. But this was like bang bang, both in public. That was great. Yeah, back to back, back and, to back too. Yeah, weird, like weirdly, kind of both about Ataumi. <laughs> that is true. That's a good point. Must have been that audacity update. Oh, uh, yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. I have, I, I have a lot of feelings about Adoimi. You know, I, I, that's one of those decks. That's one of those commanders that I really, actually have a lot of feelings about, but I've never played it, and I've only played against it once. I, I don't know. It's so like intriguing to me, like so fascinating that that kind of deck exists in our format, but it's not completely dominant. Like, I love that. I love that so much about it. I'll I'll
1: play it against you next time. Next time you and I are in a pod together. Heck yeah. I'll bring out Umi. Yeah,
0: yeah sounds good. Cannot wait. Oh, but until that pod happens, we're going to get on out of here. But we're going to do a few more things before we wrap it up for the week. As usual, if you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. Right there, you'll find their Discord server. You can hop in there, chat with everybody. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at thepdhpod. Imagine that. And then you can find Liam on Twitter at Pauper Command and myself on Twitter at Popper underscore B. And as always, you can find Dave as the Alcadron just about everywhere else. PDH is being talked about. And all of those links will be down in the uh, in the show notes for you. So click on those and, and find us elsewhere. And all right. I guess that brings episode 57 of the PDH pod to a close. But we want to give MTG Brad a big thanks for letting us use their sweet tunes for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, uh, learn how to threaten the table. And we'll see you in a week. Peace. Cheers. See ya. Pump. I brought Paul for text at the party